Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. I'm giving away not one, but two Swim Nerd Pace Clocks on the first night of US Olympic trials. Find the link in the show notes to enter. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. All right, Libby Trickett, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's, uh, gosh, I mean, swimming feels like a million years ago, but what was the last team you were on? The last team was 2006, uh, Com Games in Melbourne with you. Yes, exactly. That far out. That's, I can't That's even do math. Is that like 15 years ago? <laughs> 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 That's nuts. It is nuts. It's crazy. So, yeah, it's been a while, but um, no, it's good to see you fresh off the massage table too. Yes. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> pretending that I'm an athlete. <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, oh, yes, I'm trying to relive, re recapture my youth and uh, pretend that I'm an athlete because I'm, I'm actually training for a half marathon at the moment. So, oh, really? Yes. Which is an interesting, um, an interesting challenge for any swimmer, I think, because we're not really made for land. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit challenging, but that's okay. I that's why I'm getting massages. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listen, there's nothing wrong with massages. Do, do you do you are you judgmental now? Like, do you do you judge them based on you know your previous massages you used to get from some of the best uh, massage therapists in the world? <laughs> yes, I thought I was the only one who did that. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know that I'm not the only one who does that. But yeah, no, the reason, so I have gone through a few massage therapists post-swimming because you kind of feel like you can't go to your old massage therapist and a few have mo moved on and things like that. But I found um, one of the therapists that I see now, she it works for the Australian team. And <laughs> so uh, I've kind of had to go back to, to, to that sort of level that I'm comfortable with. Well, very nice. Now, listen, last time I saw you was actually in the car. I was, I was watching your Instagram yesterday, and there was a little video of you with the kids screaming in the background. It was fantastic. Yes, yes. 
How many kids you got now? now. Um, I've got three. So I got three girls. They're five, three, and one. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever done, but also, uh, can I swear on your podcast? Is that, is that acceptable? Can you do what? Yeah, you can, can do I whatever swear? you want. Oh, cool. It's the fucking hardest thing that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh gosh, it's, I, I, I really struggle to kind of comprehend how you can go from just this crazy burst of love for these little beings that you created to wanting to put them in the bin. I That pendulum swing that I experience almost daily is just remarkable to me. And, you know, they're the best humans that I've ever met, but also the worst. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's no there's no handbook either. It's not like someone mm. says you just do this and this is like uh, just follow these and like you just one day you're just hit with the the reality that there's these monsters running around the house. You're like, what the fuck is going on? Is <laughs> totally and like I I think as well coming from swimming where everything's so structured, everything's so routine, everything's just you're told what to do, when to do it, how to do mm. it. Um, yeah, to, to having these little humans who are just so reliant on you and they, they, you have to create the structure, you have to create the boundaries, you have to do all of this sort of extra thinking. And that's, yeah, that's certainly been challenging. Um, but yeah, when they, I find they, this, when the stars align, they can be, yeah, real turd bags. What are the ages? Five, three and one. Oh, five, three, and one. Wow. Yeah. You, you went, you went in a row, bang, bang, bang. You didn't leave yourself a lot of room there. No, no. We had three basically under four. So it was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty hectic. But I feel like for the long term, it will be good. But yeah, at the time and still now, occasionally, it's pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah. Well, listen, um, um, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. I wanted to chat about your career. I've been going through this little, um, well, the, these two Olympic uh, things here i got in the background. I've got the, the Sydney from 2000. So I've been going through my teammates there. And then you're in this one from 2004, Athens Olympic, mm. trying to go through all my teammates and just uh, tell their stories. I mean, I, I, you know, we had great teams back then and some incredible athletes. And so it's been too long so i apologize i should have got you on the podcast earlier but i'm glad we're doing it now so thanks a lot no absolutely i think it's awesome that you're able to tell everyone's stories because it's i don't know i don't know if you find this but it's quite nostalgic and it's yeah, yeah it's really special to kind of reflect on what we did uh, it feels like a lifetime ago but you know we did that it was really cool well, listen, you did a lot. Um, and I'll admit, uh, I had no idea until about 30 minutes ago when I was going through your Wikipedia, actually, and, and looking at all the medals you won. I had no <laughs> idea you won the 100 butterfly in Beijing. No fucking yeah, idea. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I feel like nobody really remembers that. I feel like every like they know that I won a gold medal, but everyone just assumes it was in the freestyle. Right, yeah. Um, because I was probably, well, I was more well-known to be a freestyler. But, yeah, I I won the world championships in the butterfly and, the um, yeah, in Beijing as well. So 
I, I feel like I went to a riding butterfly. You did. I mean, I was like, wow, she actually won the Olympics in that event? That's fantastic. I <laughs> she mean, did I was, that? I was clueless. Uh, you know, Beijing, I was off, you know, coaching at that stage. So I wasn't mm. watching. I was watch, watching my athletes, but didn't pay too much attention to what else was going on. But uh, fantastic swim, obviously. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. It's, um, yeah, like I said, it feels like a... Feels like a lifetime ago, um, or even like a different person. I don't know if you feel like that about your your swimming career, but for me, I don't know. Like I know I did it. I know consciously that um, that was something that I, I I did achieve. But it also does feel like a different person as well. Yeah, I think you go through stages in life for sure. Like when I look back on my life now, I'm like, okay you know, it's hard to relate to that person, but I, I have some certain memories. And then this, this stage of my life, I have certain memories. And, and even as a professional athlete, I don't remember everything. And then these pictures mm. in the background sometimes help. And then these conversations help. But, you know, even, even when I'm talking to some of my former teammates, I'll bring up stories. And I'm like, how did you remember that? I have no mm. idea. That. But, but there are certain things that I remember about our time together. And, um, you know, we, we were, we didn't have, um, too much overlap. You were from Queensland, mm. I was from New South Wales, and I was a lot older. You, were, I was male. You were female. But in terms of the the trips we went on, we we did go on some trips, and and there was also a time where I was part of your group. I think for 2004 Olympics, I was yes. part of Stefan's group. Um, certainly in that period of time, maybe even 2005 at, at the. Uh, mm. Montreal World Championships. I think I may have even been there as well. But um, yeah, we had we had some overlap, and I got to watch you kind of in the build up to some of your epic performances. Um, and one of the things that really impressed me about you was uh, actually I, I just watched a video where you kind of talked about five things that were really important to you, and you mm. said the first one was listen to your coach, and and I always found that you did a great job of that. Like you really. Yeah, thank you you really believed in what Stefan was doing at the time and, and really paid attention to what he was asking you to do. Mm. Yeah. I, well, I think you, you want to work with good people, right? And I know that as an athlete, my, one of my skill sets was being very coachable. <laughs> I think there are athletes who are very coachable and want to do, um, well in that respect so uh you know stefan would set me um you know a session and i would do it and do it to the best of my ability and try and go even further than what he kind of asked for and that was something that for me i really prided myself on i really wanted to impress him for lack of a better word um uh, but that was something that made me a great athlete i think and so I, yeah, I feel like if you're not working with a coach who you believe in and you trust, then I don't think you're going to get the best out of yourself as an athlete. Well, it was, it was a really interesting period for sprinting um, in, in Australia and especially for female sprinting because we had mm. some of the greatest sprinters in the world right there in in a very small vicinity you know training close to each other training with with separate coaches but especially you know a couple that i can think of is is jody henry was was mm. you training with you uh, near you uh, alice alice mills alice tate um alice mills at the time were were part of um shannon rollinson's group and and so you mm. had 
to me, it was always like looking from the outside in. I was, I was always like, oh, there's Stefan's group and there's Shannon's group. And, and you had, you know, two different types of, of, of groups, mm. but you were, you were the best in the world at the, at the one time. It was really, it was really a crazy period of time for Australian sprinting uh, on, on the female side of it. It was just incredible, right? Yeah, I, well, I always say that I was the athlete that I was. Obviously, Stefan was the main player in that, but probably just as importantly, we had the best girls in the world in my events. So um, I remember in 2005, uh, leading into the World Championships at the trials, I actually came third at uh, um, the World Championship trials to Alice and Jody. Um, in that event and because i was third i obviously didn't get selected uh for the team in that individual event for the hunter freestyle but i was actually third in the world <laughs> at that wow. stage and interestingly then jody went on to win the world championships um in uh, uh in montreal and then i but i got selected for the four by one medley relay spot so it was like this crazy period of time where we just were sort of toing and froing um you know the 2006 commonwealth games fortunately we had the three best girls in the world and we got to race each other because they have the sort of three person rule um representative of, of your country so that was really yeah it was the best and you know the same goes for for the butterfly as well you know i had jessica shipper where we were tussling for that first and um second position in the 100 butterfly for for so many years uh in 2005 she got first in the 100 fly i got second she won the commonwealth games then i won the world championships in 2007 and and fortunately i i was able to win as we mentioned um the 100 fly in beijing but you know that's the reason that i was the athlete that i was was to make the australian team i had to be one of the best in the world so that was a pretty awesome I don't know, confidence boost to make the Australian team and go, I'm going to be one of the best in the world. But also to be on the Australian team, I have to train my ass off to try and just make the team. So, yeah, it was um, it was an int interesting dynamic, super competitive, but something that I'm I am absolutely grateful for to have had that experience for sure. What was the distance in terms of um – how far away you guys were training from each other? Where where were you specifically set up at the time? So it's sort of between 2002 to 2000 and I want to say seven, I was at the Valley Pool in Brisbane, Fortitude oh. Valley Pool. Um, and then we moved over to Chandler Aquatic Centre. I think it's the Brisbane Aquatic Centre now. Um, and Jody and Alice were at Chandler. Um, and then they moved to Canberra, actually, before right. the 2008 Olympics. Right, so, right. yeah, it's... Um, but for a big yeah. period of time, how, how far was the distance between, you know, you're waking up in the morning to go to practice and, and train to be better than the person that's training down the road from you, right? Yeah, 5, 10 kilometres. It's, yeah, it wow. wasn't far at all. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... It, it's interesting to put it like that, actually, because we were, not only were we all Australians, but we were all Brisbane yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah, I mean. So I remember um, uh, the four by one medley relay 
was all Queenslanders. I think all Brisbane athletes. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, Australia has such a proud history. I mean, you know this. It's it's mm. one of those incredible countries that we just absolutely hit above um, hit above our average for for what we should be. You know, competing across the world, and we're able to do incredible things and. Hopefully that continues, you know, it's obviously become much more competitive, I think, across the sport as a whole, um, you know, especially with all the European countries coming through, a lot of the Asian countries being um, super competitive. The US is still exceptional on every level. But, yeah, we still managed to to really kind of be the underdog but continue to have these incredible performances and, and have Olympic champions regularly. <laughs> It seems to be, it's a lot easier to get out of bed in the morning when you know that your main competitor on the world stage is just 5K down the road, getting yeah. up at the same time and, and, and working just like you. Did, you. did you have those moments where you're in bed and thinking of maybe Jody or Alice down the road and be like, they're getting out of bed right now, i got to get out of bed? You know what? I, I was much more self-focused that might be selfish I don't know what the word is but uh I I wanted to be the best that I could be and so the thing that really motive made motivated me was to do better than I had done and so yes obviously having those girls there and knowing that I had to beat them in order to make the Australian team was vital but I know that if I was to do my best, I know that if I was going to do a personal best time, I was going to make it really bloody hard for those girls to beat me. So that was the primary focus for me. I actually had um, goals that I wrote down and put up on my bedroom wall that I would look at as I was going to bed every night, that I would look at when I was getting up in the morning to keep me focused because I think swimming can be such a difficult sport it's so repetitive. It's so, you train so much for such little competition. You train, you know, hours and hours every single day for, you know, the opportunity to swim for 52 seconds. (laughs) And, you know, if you put that in the Olympic perspective, you swim, you know, four years to to have an opportunity of 52 seconds to win an, an Olympic gold medal. Like it's, it's beyond crazy how much you have to train. So you have to constantly remind yourself of what you're working towards and what your goals are. And I know that I'm the athlete that I was because I had some of the best girls in the world just in Australia, but I also knew that if I wanted to beat them, I had to do better than I had done in the past as well. Now your first taste of kind of the international scene was, was at Barcelona in 2003? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was 18. Uh, my first first Australian team. I went to the Jewel in the Pool earlier in that year, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Barcelona was was such a such a good experience. It was it was challenging. I was actually quite sick there. I had bronchitis, mm. um, uh, and it was a good challenge because I had to learn to adapt to those sorts of obstacles that pop up during competition like not everything's going to go perfectly for you and it allowed me to actually develop a couple of things in terms of um like power phrases I don't know did you use power phrases at all Foggy? 
I think, um, yeah, later in my career and certainly as a coach, I I started to use some of those things to kind of, you know, positive reinforcement power phrases for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for me it was such a good uh, kind of tool to use because I was able to then just focus on what I needed to do because I was the type of athlete who – would get caught up in all of the what ifs. So, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if I win? What if I lose? What if I do a PB? What if I don't? Um, who am I letting down? And I found that particularly during Barcelona when I was sick, that it was very easy to go into those kinds of thoughts and and spirals, I guess. And mm. so with Stefan, I was able to, we developed this um, power phrase, which was, I'm strong, I'm fit, I'm healthy, therefore I'm fast. And basically from the moment I got to the training venue to warm up, I was repeat, I had that on repeat in my brain. So it sort of didn't allow for space to go into random, unhelpful thoughts. Right, right, right. Yeah. I did notice that too, that Stefan would do a good job of managing you, you know, uh, mm. he, you know, he was always there. He was, he was always in tune with what you were doing. He, he would never just let you wander off and, and drift off. It was, it was kind of like this partnership for sure, where, mm. you know, you trusted him and he was, he was kind of guiding you as well. And it, and it seemed like a really good partnership in that sense, for sure. Yeah, he. I mean, he was great. He was exactly what I needed. He was um, super analytical. Right. Uh, he's like, I, I think, still one of the best um, technical coaches in the world. He has such an eye for, um, you know, all sorts of technique, but, you know, specifically for me, freestyle and butterfly. And that was uh, great because that that's the stuff that I really loved as well. Um, but he was able to create programs that obviously developed me physically to to get the best out of myself because, you know, my front end speed was great, but maybe my back end speed wasn't so good. And so that's something that we worked on together and he was really excellent at that. He didn't pull any punches. He, were, <laughs> he mm-hmm. could be incredibly... Um, direct in how he said things which I think in hindsight is something that I probably could have done with a bit more fluff (laughs) just a bit more fluff like to go you're doing a good job well done because that's um positive affirmation is something that I still crave as an adult so but at the same time he had this intensity that I really responded well to and the way that he delivered those messages, I think for the most part was exactly what I needed at that time, especially at that age. I think that we did get into some tussles and and he would agree um, as I got older because I wanted to have more input um, and he struggled, I think, letting go of that kind of control a little bit. I mean, that's from my perspective. He may have a different take on all of that, but (laughs) I think that's something that, I sort of can reflect on now, but at the time, you know, between the ages of of 18 to 23, he was exactly what I needed in a coach um, to get the best out of myself. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that way. Listen, I had uh, Alice on and, and she talked about some of the things that Shannon was doing with them. And, and he, she talked about some reverse periodization where 
they would kind of flip the the season on its head and and start with short fast work early on and then and build into um, other aspects and and if people are interested they can go back and listen to that podcast but in terms of uh, Stefan's theory for you and coaching you what what was it how, how did you build your season gosh you are asking a question that I have not thought about in here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm trying to block it out I don't know it uh it's yeah we I think we did a fairly standard sort of um progression throughout the season we definitely went through a distance phase which for a sprinter is probably not considered a distance phase compared to some distance <laughs> swimmers but uh what did you get up we, to after a session you think uh i think the most i ever did was like a 70k week which again for like most um <laughs> most distance swimmers is like what that's like a normal week for us <laughs> oh, but 70k is a lot of k's though it's still a oh, lot of well for 52 seconds come on like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we really need to do 70k for 52 seconds do we really i feel like we don't anyway that's <laughs> another discussion. That out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah so we we did definitely go through sort of a three-week distance phase um throughout the season but we kind of it was mostly a very structured um very routine um week that we just kind of little bits and pieces change so you know monday morning was um anaerobic 2100s uh after a 5k run then monday afternoon was heart rate then tuesday morning was uh kick and pull sprint Tuesday afternoon was quality, uh, Wednesday morning off, Wednesday afternoon aerobic recovery, mostly aerobic though, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, Thursday morning uh, kick and pull sprint, Thursday afternoon heart rate, Friday morning recovery, Friday afternoon aerobic, Saturday morning quality and gym. So we really kept to that structure week in and week out. I mean, I can obviously remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, for someone who can't remember very well, you just nailed that one. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, we did the same thing sort of week in and week out, but the structure and the distance changed within that. Um, yeah. There, the type of work. Do you remember any sets that you did? Uh, you know, yeah. The, right? Lactate yeah. removal was probably my most hated set ever. Um, what was that exactly? So that was usually on a Tuesday afternoon we would do that and it would be like uh, depending on the period of time. So if it was a distance phase, it would be a 50 sprint, but usually for the sprinters in the group, we would do a 35 uh, dive and then a 25 push sprint, uh, max effort, and then a 50 um, kind of TV plus, I reckon, six or seven so with stroke count and then we do a 200 at threshold and then we do the same structure but the um the 200 would be at, at like a one or no sorry a2 it usually was and we'll do that whole set like three to four times through and by the end of it it just was disgusting like <laughs> It says lactate removal, but I really feel like it was just lactate buildup. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So awesome. So, all right, lactate removal. Now, what was your favorite thing to do in the training pool? Oh, good question. Um, I think I really quite enjoyed kick and pull sprint quality sets on the Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Right. Um, I actually found, I, I mean, I love doing pull sets. That was kind of my really, um, I feel like that was one of my strengths was the pull sets for sure. Right, yeah. Uh, but I actually feel like I got a lot out of doing the kick sets because that was definitely my weakness. Um, and I could really see a great progression throughout my training, uh, to, yeah, throughout my training, I really feel like that was something that really improved rapidly with my time with Stefan. And so that was kind of really, it's nice to get that feedback, right? Like where you really see significant improvements because you don't really get that as an adult athlete <laughs> or yeah. as you're getting older. You know, when you're a kid, you drop five seconds and it's like, woo, that was amazing. I have no idea how I dropped that. <laughs> Whereas, you know, as an adult, you're just looking for those little incremental um, things to, to yeah. improve on. And so I really saw big, big gains uh, in my kick strength and, and, uh, and fitness and speed. Right. And that was really nice to kind of get that feedback. Well, that was one of the things about you. You're not the tallest woman. How tall are you? <laughs> I'm 167 centimeters. I don't know what that is in, you know, feet, but yeah, 167 centimeters I am. Yeah, you weren't you weren't the tallest, but you were certainly one of the strongest. I mean, you were powerful in the water, and you and you just mentioned that you you like pull sets. I imagine that you were pretty strong in the gym too. But in terms of just your your physique, you were comfortable being a strong woman. Yeah. Well, look, you know, when you're growing up, it's uh, not necessarily the easiest thing to manage. You know, 15, 16, and you have more muscles than most of the boys that you're hanging out with at school and things like that. It's, um, you know, I remember uh, there was a group of boys that we were hanging out with um, through school who, you know, weren't the sportiest kind of guys. And I remember being called a butch bitch by one of them. And, you know, when you're 15 and 16 and you're trying to find your place in the world and, you know, you're not the best at anything yet and kind of don't have an excuse to um, be super fit and strong, uh, that was pretty confronting. But, you know, I think I really felt strongly that my body was my vehicle to achieve something. And that particularly became apparent when I was, you know, making Australian teams and I was making finals and I was winning medals and eventually breaking world records and things like that. That, that for me was something that made me feel really powerful. And to this day, you know, I am nowhere near as strong as I once was, but I'm still would be considered probably a muscular woman, <laughs> but yeah. that makes me feel good. That makes me feel powerful and strong and it's just a different perspective. And, I think, um, you know, out in the real world, it's sometimes hard to feel comfortable in that sort of body. But when you're amongst female athletes, it's, I mean, it's best. Like I think uh, female athletes to me are just incredible and they, they're such a source of inspiration for me. Uh, and so, yeah, I, it's something that you get more comfortable with over time, but 
when you're in it, when you're, you are a female athlete and you're in it and you're trying to find those one percenters, it can be uh, difficult to sort of feel in love with your body. It's much more of a sort of vehicle brain type relationship. It's like, mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to achieve my dreams. Um, so yeah, it, it does take some some amount of perspective as you get older to recognize what you were able to do and, and be really proud of that. Yeah. I imagine, you know, as you're getting faster and then getting on the podium at Olympics and world championships, I mean, I imagine when you look in the mirror, then you're pretty happy with what you see, you know, like I'm, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm fast. That's, that's confidence building, I guess at that time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, <laughs> I would say that I was very much a person and to be honest, one of the reasons I was able to achieve what I did was it wasn't ever enough. And that's a really terrible detrimental way of looking at life um, post-sport. But I think that's one of the reasons that I was able to be one of the best because I was constantly striving to be better. So Mm. I can't say that I looked in the mirror and went, Yes, I am in peak physical condition. I now know that I was in peak physical condition. Um, <laughs> three babies and eight years retired, for sure, know that I was in peak physical condition back then. Um, but at the time, you know, you're constantly looking for less skin folds. You're looking for more weight in the gym. You're looking for, you know, better fitness, better back end speed, better front end speed better turn starts, better power, like constantly needing to be better. And so I can't say that, yeah, I would look in the mirror and be like, yes, I'm ready to go. It was a feeling. I I definitely felt like I was ready to go at certain times in my career, not all the time, but at some some points. But, you know, I definitely did allow myself moments. I remember in 2007 at the World Championships, I won the 50 freestyle um, there and, uh, I think it was uh, Marlene Beltos and uh, Therese Alshama on second and third podiums. And I was, they were taller than me on the lower podium than mm. I was on number one. <laughs> and I felt really good about that. I felt like I was doing it for the, for the short girls of the world. And, you know, that I think the progression of seeing taller and taller, taller sprinters um, has continued obviously Kate Campbell uh came through and she's you know an incredible athlete amazingly long levers like I was so jealous of the levers that these women have there's such long arms such long legs but then I tried to make the most of what my skill set was which was you know if I'm smaller I'm going to turn faster I'm going to get off that block faster um you know, be able to drive through the water and be be strong for for what I was carrying through the water. So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting kind of way to look at it. But certainly, it, it does take time to sort of recognize how how fit and strong I was. Yeah, one of the other things that I saw in the video that I watched earlier was you you talking about um, every rep and and one of the one of the things that that I tried to instill in my sprinters when I became a coach is this is this idea of like every rep counts. You know, if I ask mm. you to do if I ask you to do ten rounds of something or ten reps of something, I want all ten to be 
maximum effort if we're sprinting, right? And and I think that's that's where a lot of sprinters um, take a while to figure that out of like, look, every rep counts. It's not good enough to go four out of, you know, four out of 10 reps or six out of 10 reps. You seem to be somebody who would deliver um, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 every time coach would ask you to go. So is that, is that something that you caught on to pretty quickly? I'm so sorry. What a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have you plugged the phone back in? Yeah, no, so um, because I had turned the car off and I had no air conditioning, my uh, phone got too hot and uh, I had to cool it down with the air conditioning on. So I am so sorry. Fingers crossed nothing else goes wrong. I, I am incredibly That's all right. Sorry. Like, like I said, we can cut this. My, my editor will, will jump to this spot, so it's easy. Great. Um, I, I I haven't figured out how to pause on this platform yet, so I'm I'm new to this platform as well. We've only been using it for a couple of podcasts now, and I yeah. love it. It's great, but uh, I haven't figured out how to pause. So right now, yeah. I'm talking to my I'm talking to my uh, producer who's going to cut this. <laughs> and boom! So um, did you at well, least then. hear the question that I left you with? Yes. So no, I can't remember it now. What was the okay, question? So- the question was basically every rep. You you know you've yes, got to sorry, give yeah. every rep. So just yeah. give me your mentality and like when did you pick up on the fact that like every rep counts? Um, I think I probably it was a, it was a progression. I think for me. So when I was first swimming, I actually was such a bludger. I would constantly miss laps. I would constantly make excuses to get out of the pool. I would, you know, go and go to the toilet in inverted commas and, you know, have a shower for 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) I would put fins on if I could. um, And it took me a really long time to make the connection between if I worked hard in the training pool that I got to race faster and for me racing was everything I wanted to touch that wall first I wanted to do personal best time by as much as I possibly could and I think once I made that connection probably when I was about 15 I think that I could make that impact in when it came to racing that was like a light bulb that went off for me and I was able to not immediately but slowly start to just progress my um progress my swimming so um when I first started to sort of make that connection I didn't try and do um any more sessions I was only doing probably three or four sessions at that stage but I would just actually do the session that I was there for and I started to see improvement which was amazing and then, you know, I slowly started to add a couple of sessions. And then I made my first Australian junior team, which, again, just reinforced that idea that if you work hard, the results become. And so when I, at the end of 2002, after making my Australian junior team, I decided that I needed to join a new squad that hadn't had this preconceived idea of who I was as a trainer because everyone just assumed that I was a bludger, which, you know, because I was, I was absolutely a bludger. So I needed to have a fresh start. I needed someone to make me take responsibility for my swimming, which, you know, Stefan was there to demand that I, you know, 
started doing at first only eight sessions a week, but, you know, very quickly built up to 10 sessions a week. And then, so I think the first part was having Stefan make me take responsibility for my swimming, but I took that first step. I, I made the move, made the call to change, to change squads. Um, and then I was able to recognize that every, every rep, every set, every meter counts when it comes to getting the best out of yourself. And that was a really natural kind of progression for me. And, you know, something that I definitely became obsessive over, you know, even in the 200 meter swim down at the end of, of our, our, you know, swim sessions, I would try to do perfect technique because I thought that if I can do perfect technique at the very end of every single session, that is going to get me the edge over my other competitors because I, I in my head, decided that mm. that's not that what they were going to be able to do. And that made me feel confident in being able to, to compete and, and ultimately try and beat them. Listen, it's a it's a differentiating factor between being good and being great, and and everything mm. you just touched on there is so. Uh, it's all the little details that I tried to instill into my athletes as a coach, and yeah. maybe uh, maybe it was through observations of spending time with you and watching you and and some other great athletes that we had on the team. It was an easy transition for me to be a coach because it was like, I've seen these people work. I've seen the way that they're they're great. I've seen how they become world champions. Um, mm. And so when uh, when an, an athlete had that light bulb switch for me where they went from where you were early to where you were as one of the top athletes in the world, I've seen that transition too in athletes. Mm. And, and um, athletes are always asking, like, how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next level? And, and it's through little details like that of just doing everything right and finishing with perfect technique at the end of practice instead of being sloppy and lazy and mm. all those little details matter, right? I can't agree more. Like, I think that's the thing that makes the difference and mm -hmm. the willingness to do that Yep. and to not only do it once, but to do it every single day. Um, to do it every single session, to do it every single, you know, not just in the pool, but in the gym and to do it not just in the gym, but in your run session and not just in your run session, but in your Pilates session and your yoga session and your circuit session and your abs and core session. And then to like add more things, um, more than what your teammates might be doing, more than what your squad mates might be doing. <sighs> It's that willingness to go that extra mile and, you know, <clears throat> to eat the right things, to make the choice to stay at home on a weekend rather than going out partying with your friends. Like, it's not easy. They're not the easy decisions to make. They're the kind of, like for me at that time, I think it felt really easy because I wasn't interested in any of that. I, I, had, I had a focus. I had a desire. I had a drive. I wanted this I had this intensity to achieve something and that was I was able to do that through those little incremental steps and you know it has to be the motivation has to be intrinsic like nobody can be there with you 24 7 to tell you what to do all of the time yes you know obviously there's bulk part of that in your weeks where your coach is telling you what to do and how to do it but ultimately it's what you do when no one is watching that is going to 
get you across the line and get you to those goals that you're you're working towards. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have two older sisters and an older brother. Oh wow! So you got a, a few in the family. Were you uncommon, or was this was this kind of the way all of you were raised, or or did they look at you and be like, "Where did she come from?" Ah, uh, it's a good question. I think we're very different in terms of. Um, so, so we're not like the Campbells, <laughs> where everyone's <laughs> like a, an amazing athlete, or um, nothing like that. We're we're very different. So um, I think being the youngest of four. And I was the youngest by quite a bit to my brother who's next. He's four years older and then five years older and then seven years older. So mm. in some ways I kind of feel like at a time I was almost an only child in a, in a, in a weird way, so especially between probably the ages of 10 and 15. Um, but I, like, I just wanted to keep up with them. And so obviously being four and five and seven years ahead of me, they're very much more physically progressed than I was, but I just wanted to keep up and do as much as I could and beat everyone from the very beginning. I had this real competitive instinct um, from a very, very, very young age, like an annoyingly competitive person um, from a super young age. And yeah, I, I, I don't know where I got it from, to be honest. We have a little bit of sport in our family like a bit of tennis a little bit of swimming here and there but nothing nothing major but yeah I just had I think I was lucky in that I had that competitiveness but then I found something that I loved a lot from a really young age and that really just resonated with me and connected to where I wanted to go you've got an interesting career because there's a lot of relay um, championships on there, you know, podiums. But the thing I think that separates you from a lot of other people with a resume like yours is that you won individual events as well at the Olympics, at the World Championships. You know, you got silver medals, you got bronze medals, but but you won gold medals. And I think that's a separating factor. I've had a lot of people on my podcast and some of the top athletes in the world have had resumes like you. Uh, in terms of being on some of the best relays in history. And you've certainly done that, but you had an individual success as well. And I think mm. the thing for me that separates you from other people is a mental toughness. Did you, do you recognize in yourself that you had a mental toughness? Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I think I, I mean, I don't think you're necessarily conscious of it at the time, but I think for me, I I had it on some level an adaptability to to racing. Um, I loved racing, so I wanted to do it as much as possible, which I think fared well for me um, in terms of being a multi-event um, athlete. That certainly was something that I think helped me get up every single day during an eight-day competition and do the best that I could uh, and a way to you know, uh, manage energy and all of those sorts of things. But I think what it came down to is I just, I just bloody loved racing and nothing, I didn't want anything to kind of keep me in the way of, get in the way of that for me. And I think that for me, the, the races that I'm most disappointed about 
in my career are the ones that I let shit get in the way mm. of of my performance. And they're the hardest ones to kind of process still because I know that I could have done better, but because of shit that was going on in my brain, I wasn't able to perform to the best of my ability. And I think that's the thing that gets me the hardest because I feel like I was pretty adaptable. I feel like, you know, when things were hard, I was able to sort of find another level. And, you know, if, if stuff was going off, going on in the background, whether, you know, family or relationships or, you know, missing home or whatever, I was really able to compartmentalise and focus mm. on the task at hand. And that was something that I really... I really loved being able to execute on. Right, that comp- compartmentalization is is something that I've noticed in in a, a lot of the top athletes that do end up getting on on the top of the podium. They do that mm-hmm. really well of just separating at the time. You know, I, I was there in Beijing watching Michael Phelps. You know, win that mm-hmm. eight, and you could just tell like he was locked into this event, and then as soon as it was done, boom, next. And all the pressure and everything else that's going on in your personal life. I mean, he was just locked in. And, you know, Michael's an easy example, but, you know, in a way you were doing the same thing at the same time, obviously, you know, winning that that gold in the 100 fly. But you did talk about the fact that um, the what the freestyle race was one of the worst races in history for you. What, what happened during that race? <laughs> <laughs> you guessed which one I was talking about. Um, <laughs> yes, the 100 freestyle in Beijing, I think. Was... Yeah, what happened? <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> um, I got in my way. I Honestly, that's kind of, that's all I can kind of put it down to. I... Was it before the fly? No, it was after. So oh, really? I, yeah, so I, we got bronze in the 4x1 medley, uh, sorry, 4x1 freestyle relay. The following day, I won gold in the 100 um, butterfly. And then I had a day or two off. And then we had the 100 freestyle. And because I was trying to manage my energy, having multiple events and things like that, I had to try and go as fast as I could, making a good um, qualification for for the final, but not expending all of my energy. That was something that I was very conscious of. And I just made a bad call in the, I think, possibly because it was uh, a semi-final in the morning or, I, you know, there's so many elements that were happening in Beijing as well with, yeah, morning finals versus mm. um, evening finals. But I just made a bad call. I just didn't recognise that there was an athlete in lane eight. I didn't see her. She was going really fast. I thought I was doing enough to come second or third in my heat. Uh, sorry, my semi-final, and I ended up coming um, uh, fourth, which is not where you want to be in your first mm. in the first semi-final because right. that obviously leaves a very big door open for for other athletes to to qualify ahead of you. And I ended up qualifying ninth by 0.09 of a second, mm. uh, which obviously is not qualifying for the final. I came ninth, um, and that exact the exact situation had transpired four years prior in Athens I'd qualified ninth by 0.09 of a second and I didn't get an opportunity to swim in the final and to do that that for mental lapse at that time I just I just think I thought I was doing enough but I didn't have awareness over a girl in lane eight 
that was I, right, sh- so I should have gone a bit swimming, faster. You were swimming within yourself then. You you could have yeah. swum faster if you wanted. Oh, for away. sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely swimming within myself. It wasn't right. a matter right. of, you know, not having anything left. I uh, just didn't execute the race good enough for that session um, because I was trying to <laughs> maintain yeah. energy. And, uh, yeah, so it happened four years later and I just immediately spiraled. I immediately went, what the fuck are you doing? What have you done? Like, how can you be four years more experienced? You're world champion, you're multiple world record holder, and you you don't get to swim in the final in the Hunter Freestyle. Like, what, how did you do this? And I was like that for probably five to 10 minutes getting through the sort of media um, contingents all, all through um, the media press uh sort of i don't know what you call it like wine basically i yeah. i kind of hit, kept done. my head down yeah and then i got to the Australian contingent of the media and our athlete liaison officer um sorry media liaison officer came up to me and said you're in the final and i thought like i thought he was being cruel <laughs> i was like why would you make such a cruel joke i came <laughs> ninth like i'm not in it um, and it turned out that the Chinese athlete got disqualified for a false start and I had gotten lane eight into the wow. final. And it, it's amazing what a short amount of time, how much that can impact on your attitude and perspective and how you're able to process that. And I didn't. I didn't do a good job of that. I wasn't able to kind of compartmentalize that moment because I was so disappointed in myself in the execution of my race. And that was mm. something I prided myself on. So I said, You just the next hung week, on to the, those emotions and those feelings, yes, did you? Totally, totally. Yeah. And that's not something that I do. Like, that's not something that I want to do. I want to be able to just put a line in the sand and move on. And I just, in that moment, I think with so much on the line, with so much desire to win the gold medal in the 100 metres freestyle, it's something I'd wanted for so long. And I was so angry that I'd kind of almost completely fucked it up. But then on the flip side, you know, I had this idea that I was going to be the next Karen Perkins, you know, I'm going to win from lane eight, I'm going to be this underdog and it's going to be this, amazing experience and i'll be able to tell this story forever in the best way possible um and i wasn't able to let go of those weird thoughts i was i i stopped doing the processes i stopped executing on those things that i was good at and yeah just allowed myself to kind of spiral in a really emotive way and you know in the in the hundred freestyle the next day in the final I swam probably the worst race that I've ever executed in my entire life. I went out so hard. I remember getting to the 35-metre mark and going, oh, shit, I think my legs are gone. And for one, like, if you're already thinking anything in a race, like, if you remember what you think in a race, it's it's not a good sign. But to think that I'm hurting is a doubly bad sign. I got to the 50-metre mark and I pushed off the wall and... I was just like, oh, man, I literally, <laughs> I have nothing. Like, my legs are gone. And I remember getting to the 75-metre mark and going, well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm 
standing still. <laughs> Pretty sure I'm, I have no longer have momentum forward. And I reckon the last three strokes of that race, it was just, I, I literally felt like I'd stopped. Like there was no momentum forward. And I think the hardest thing to know is that I was in the lead of that race until the touch on the wall. You know, Britta Stefan touched me out by 0.04 of a second. And, mm. you know, there's so much, there's so much what ifs in, in a result like that, right? You know, it's not like you did the best race that you could, you put together the best performance that you could, and you came second. Like, amazing, right? That You can't be disappointed with that if it was the best thing that you could have done. But I literally did the worst race of my life and came second by 0.04 of a second. So there's so much. If I'd just gone out a little bit easier, if I'd just not been so stressed, if I'd just you know, all of these what ifs that come up. So I think that for me is one of the hardest races to to process. But having said that now, I mean, at the time it was devastating. Mm. But now I'm able to reflect on that and go, wow, like you had the worst race of your life and you came second at the Olympic Games. Like that's, that's pretty damn good. And I can be really proud of that that performance now. Yeah, I think as competitors and athletes and especially, you know, being part of the Australian team and, and being part of teams that were so successful, we, we always expected more, you know, it was gold mm. or nothing really for, for all of us, you know. So like yeah. my sixth place at the at the Olympics, I'm like I was I was shattered about it, you know, not shattered in the sense that like I was so close to the podium, like, man, I could have got there and but then you think to yourself, like, I'm sixth fastest swimmer in the world. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. pretty impressive. At you know? the Olympic but, Games, like, yeah, like a silver medal in the 100 freestyle at the Olympics. I would have taken that any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, but, totally. Um, I, and you know. you, 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 I think it takes time to get that perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have to kind of be out of it for a little bit longer. But I don't know. It's, you can't, I kind of wish I had that perspective at the time because at the time it's, yeah, yeah, devastating. Yeah, sure. Um, you ended up writing a book beneath the surface, right? Where can people yeah. get that book? Online is usually the best way. Um, it's uh, pretty re readily available online. Uh, I know like in Amazon? Australia, yeah, Amazon, Booktopia.com in Australia is a, is a great place to, to find it. But yeah, I'm really proud of that actually. Outside of swimming and obviously my children, it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of to date because it, you know it's a it's obviously a, a very open and honest look at um my time as a swimmer but and but certainly post swimming as well and yeah. my experiences with um depression and postnatal depression and those sort of transition moments that we have in our life and i hope i i hope people resonate with it like i hope people don't look at it and go oh she's an olympic swimmer i won't get anything out of that there's so much right. more to that story um that i think is really relatable hopefully <laughs> to when a lot did, of people what come out uh, it came out in 2019 october okay. 2019 so i was i think i was 34 weeks pregnant with my third girl when we were doing this sort of book launch mm. um yeah so something it took about two years to 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 do but um yeah really proud of it 
pretty hard to expose yourself like that. Who had the idea of, of wanting to do this in the first place? Was it you? No, actually, I was kind of really not keen on an idea of doing a book because I didn't yeah. want to do just a sporting memoir. I think swimming was who I was. It's certainly part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. So I couldn't um, really get my head around doing um, just a sporting chat about my swimming <laughs> i was like that doesn't seem that interesting to like to me i i, I wouldn't read it <laughs> um so i really wanted it to be about more than that and i'd been starting to be really open and honest with my experiences around mental illness and depression and postnatal depression as i mentioned and i wanted to um i just started doing more conversations around those things and how hard parenthood can be and things like that and one of the editors um, from the publisher that I went with she had heard me on a podcast actually randomly uh, talking around the transition into parenthood and she thought it would be interesting to to do a book and I'm just grateful that they were on board with the idea of doing a book around obviously we have to talk about the swimming but also life after swimming and yeah. yeah so i got approached and i think i was at a point where i was ready to say yes so awesome well i uh you know i hope uh people watching this get on and, and read it because look um we are more than just swimming uh swimmers but at the same time it's very hard to transition out of that and i think sharing your experiences is is um great too and then like like we said earlier um, becoming a mom and, and a parent is not something there's a handbook on. So at least to have somebody who, who has a little memoir in there and talks about it, it can, can certainly be helpful for a lot of different people. But um, that's pretty awesome. So what else did I want to talk about here? There's so much. I mean, God, I know I've kept you for a while, so I appreciate your time. But um, No, I'm sorry I've missed you around with all of my technical difficulties. No, no, it's been okay. And my massage, which got in the way. <laughs> where are the kids now uh they're at home not by themselves but um <laughs> yeah we uh actually one's at kindy one's at school and we also just hired a nanny actually and she's just been a godsend yeah um i did want to say this so uh, you know you broke you were the first woman to break 53 and you were the first woman to break 24 in the in the 50 what was that like to be kind of a, a barrier breaker one of the things that I love the most <laughs> about swimming, um, I, I'm very conscious that I was in a very kind of privileged position to be able to do that and to do um, that on, yeah, in that way was just, it was just awesome. So I was, I, I was the first Australian woman to break 25 seconds, which was like just, I think that's what got me the taste mm -hmm. of it. Uh, the idea to break barriers and be the first to go into that that second realm. I I just I love that concept. Uh, I mean, I mean, just in general, breaking a world record to have no one in the world ever go faster. Mm. I don't know. That's uh, it's it's just cool. Like I know that records are made to be broken. I know that you know the main goal in swimming and you know most most sports is you know like an olympic gold medal or a world championship gold medal um but yeah to be the fastest ever i don't know it's, it's just cool like it's just a it's a mm -hmm. cool thing to be able to to do and yeah i i'm 
I'm really proud of those performances. I'm really proud of the fact that I broke 53 seconds racing Michael Phelps at the Jewel in the Pool in 2007. Like that, what a what an amazing experience that was. And, you know, to finish like four or five seconds behind him but still be the fastest female ever. <laughs> Nobody realised that I'd broken 53 seconds and was an unofficial world record until I started losing my mind <laughs> at the end of the race. Um but yeah, they're they're really cool accomplishments. I'm I'm still bummed that I didn't get to break fifty one seconds in the short course pool in the hundred freestyle. It was like fifty one zero, um, wasn't it? Yeah, fifty one zero one. It was so oh. close. Um, um, that would have been an epic way, kind of, to to finish my sort of short course swimming career. But you know, not to be. But yeah, they're, they're some of the moments that I'm most proud of for sure. What's some advice you would have for somebody that, you know, there's an elite group of athletes out there and I'm sure they've got it figured out anyway, but in terms of advice of breaking a barrier like a world record, what's the advice you would give them? Did, did you do well by putting that in front of you and chasing a time or did you not want to see that every day? Did you just want to go with kind of like, okay, if I do A, B, C and D, then that'll lead to E? Probably both, to be honest. I think you need that combination. I mean, the the formula is the same, right? It's just working your ass off. Like you just have to do the hard work. You have to do those one percenters every single day, every single session, every single rep. They're the main they're the main things that are going to get you closer to those those opportunities. And then when you're at that opportunity, you need to give yourself the best chance possible. So don't get in your own way do work on your mindset, do work with sports psychologists, do work um, on how to cope with pressure and then practice, 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 practice racing, practice feeling under pressure. But for me, certainly um, in terms of breaking barriers or breaking world records, like I, I remember in the lead up to the Athens Olympic trials, Probably about six months out, I put down a time. Um, it was my time goal. It was 53.6 I put down. I wrote it down. I put it on my wall. I looked at it every single day in the lead up to those trials. And it was a full second faster than my personal best time. So way beyond the realm of what I thought I was capable of, but that's what wow. I was working towards. And it was it was. 0.1 faster than the Inga de Brown world record at the time. So like I was being, I was had a big, hairy, audacious goal. It was a, <laughs> it was a lofty goal that I was aiming for and I had no idea how long it was going to take me, but that's what I wanted to work towards. So I wow. obviously had an intention to, to get a, a world record, but yeah, in, in Athens, I, uh, at the, sorry, Olympic trials for Athens, I was able to in the semifinal take the pressure off and just see what my body was capable of and they're the best races like they're they're the most fun that you have when it comes to racing when you take that pressure off and just see what you've trained your body to do and yeah ended up touching the wall with with a 53.66 which was like yeah like I said a full second pb Mm. a world record time it was so unexpected um but I think you need to have both I think you need to have the goal and the intention, but you need to do the hard work. 
you're such a resource and such a badass. Do 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 the people, <laughs> do the next generation of swimmers in Australia tap into that? Do, do they come to you for advice, or have you had a chance to talk to them in any way? I mean, come on, you're like right there. Thank you. Um, I I want to get more involved in swimming again. I think I'm probably at a stage that I feel like I feel comfortable enough to be able to sort of talk about those things. I think I, you know, I, I was still, I'm like Kate was still racing when I was racing. So I still felt like I had competitors that were still there that I didn't want to, I don't know, step on their toes or feel like I was thrusting advice on them. Um, Cause it's a hard you, thing did, you did exactly what every woman wants to do, you know, like you dominated the world, you won the Olympic. Yeah. I mean, come on, like, and, and yeah. you did it over many years, you know. So, like, the, the like I could talk to you for hours and just ask you question and question and question, just pull more out of you. I mean, you give great answers, by the way, you're a great Thank podcast you. uh, guest, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I would just, I would just think that you know, especially leading into Tokyo, it's like, here's a woman in our backyard who has done exactly what I'm trying to do. And I just want to go and talk to her. I mean, I just can't mm. imagine more people aren't doing that. So, Well, I'm in, in Australia at the moment, we have a program called the Gold Medal Ready Program in the lead up right. to the Tokyo Olympics. So I've had the opportunity to work with a number of different sports yeah. um, and the coaches of swimming, which has been really good. I, I love it because I feel like I'm kind of giving back and I feel like I'm able to give someone a different perspective because I think they see me and they go, like, oh, she's just a normal human. But she was able to do these, um, you know, amazing things and things that they might be aiming towards. And yeah. for me, it like it fills my high performance cup because it's, you know, it's a completely different world to, you know, the real world compared to an elite sporting world. It's so different. And so I get a lot out of it as well. But I think I am ready to start doing a little bit more with swimming. I would love to because it is still, you know, I talk about swimming. It's my first love, right? Like it's the thing that I fell in love with first in my life. And I don't think I'll ever stop loving it. I don't think I can ever be a coach because <laughs> I'm, just, I'm too impatient. I'd be like just fucking do the work stop yeah, that me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah i'd be like just do it i know what i'm talking about but in that sort of way that you can kind of come in and have workshops and talk to the athletes and i feel like i could make a different difference in that way so i'm hoping to do that a little bit more in the future in terms of high performance, I mean, there's very few people that end up breaking world records and winning Olympic gold medals. I mean, you are such a resource. They need to tap into you more. So um, get on it, Australian swimming and, and whoever <laughs> else. But, um, listen, last question. You know, you were, you were part of some great teams and had some great teammates. Who's your favourite teammate of all time? Oh, I mean, other, other than you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a setup question. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> fishing for that one um yeah no i mean we we had some great teams right like we were yeah. we were super lucky i think uh i would have to say you i ended up meeting still, your husband on the on the strain team didn't you yes yeah yeah so i met my husband on uh, my strain junior team actually okay, um, at the, the Oceania championships we we met um i think probably i would have to say 
I, I mean, I still love Alice Mills. So Alice yeah. is a still very close friend of mine. So yeah. I'd have to say she'd be right up there, even though we were competitors. I really enjoyed her company. Christian Springer, who was a squad mate of mine. Um, yeah. I loved his company. Uh, but you know what? Like, I think everyone was really fun. Yeah, and we had some fun teams. Yeah, Liesl Jones. I mean, so many athletes that I just loved hanging out with. Melanie Schlanger. I mean, Melanie right now. Gosh, there's so many that I could just reel off um, yeah. back in the day. So, yeah, very grateful to still count them as friends, yeah. um, which has been, I think, made that transition into the real world easier to be able to connect to those guys and sort of, you know, go back to the fondness of how fit we were and look at all the amazing things we did. But like, oh, my God, how crazy is the real world? It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it is so hard. Um, <laughs> um, listen, I've really enjoyed this. I've loved it coming from, um, you know, the front seat of your car. This has been a yes. lot of fun. <laughs> um, I had some challenges. Thank it's you so much awesome. for having me. It's, it's yeah. so awesome what you're doing, just putting this, this out there. Everyone's experiences are so interesting and different but similar and you can take so much and learn so much so i hope a lot of athletes get in here and, and listen to what people yeah. have to say so thank you Absolutely. libby yeah you're awesome uh, good to see you again and um say hi to everyone that you run into back home i miss everybody i wish i could come down there and and um catch up with everybody but uh good soon to see hopefully you. soon everything opens up and you can come yeah, on down. exactly i want to come back so all right i appreciate it take care all right girl awesome thanks Hawkey. i'll see you soon bye